Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast, and this is episode number 70. I'm coming to you from Kuching, Cat City, baby. I am in Malaysia. So I flew from uh, Brunei to with a layover in Kota Kinabalu, KK. So I flew to KK, you know, cutting costs. I got a real cheap flight. So I had like a 10-hour layover that was overnight. Uh, slept on a bench at KK. Thank you to the staff for not kicking me out. And then early morning, I flew to Kuching. It's hot here, man. It's real hot. I thought Brunei was hot. This is like that that like pizza oven, like wall of heat kind of hot. Uh, it's hot. But I'm here. I'm happy. It's a really cool city. Lots of great food. Um, I'm sure I'll be, you know, doing some episodes from here, so I'll keep all the uh, stories and stuff like that for when I can do some Kuching-specific episodes. All right, so Brunei. I'm going to have this episode, and then I'm going to do a solo episode, but I've been getting some questions from friends, family, and uh, listeners from home, so I'm going to address some of those real quick. Uh, How do you meet people is a question that I got. Like, how are you meeting these people on your podcast? Who are the people that you're hanging out with? Um, How did you get people to, you know, help you get around and drive and take you places? Uh, So I'll answer that. Seems kind of simple to me, but the couch surfing application is really, really valuable. So you don't only have to use it if you want to, or if you're trying to find a place to stay, you can also use it as like a meetup. Like, hey, I'll be in this place looking to experience the culture, the food, the sites. Is there anyone around? I've got a lot of responses from there. Really, really great resource. Instagram. Like, Instagram has been really valuable for the podcast. And I think you could use it, you know, in the way I use it for the podcast, just for your travels. So for FICA, who was on the last episode, or for Bryant, who's on this one, I saw that they were doing something interesting in the place that I'm going to, and I messaged them. Simple as that. And for both of them, I hung out with both of them a lot and uh, did a lot of really cool stuff in Brunei with them. I think that for for Brunei especially, you're going to kind of need to meet people. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to kind of really know what to do and where to go there. It's still not a culture yet with like a whole lot of tourism, uh, there's not like backpacker spots and stuff like that where you can just bump into people and see where they're going. Uh, so, you know, Instagram was a really valuable resource, but like anywhere you go, hostels and guest houses are going to have congregations of people who are traveling. Um, you know, sometimes you have to jump on tours if you're going to national park or something like that, or you need transportation, uh, you know, there'll be buses full of travelers and things like that. So just talk to people, man. You know, be interested in them, be interesting, you know, share your stories. It's really quite easy. Um, just talk to people. So yeah, that's that's how I met people and that's how I will continue to meet people. Um, are you safe is one. Like, uh, why are you so trusting of people is a variation on that question. How do you know that the people you're talking to are not trying to rip you off? Uh, so let me break this down. Are you safe? Uh, was in a country with Sharia law, you know, is a monarchy, it's a sultanate. Um, yeah, man, yeah, I was safe. You know, before you go somewhere like Brunei, read. <laughs> read up on the local customs, the laws, the rules, have an understanding of them, uh, and abide by them. <laughs> you know, whether you agree or disagree with them. You are a guest in that place. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think when you go somewhere, sort of like the level of comfort that you're used to, uh, the culture that you're used to, maybe even the freedoms that you're used to, they're not, you know, it's not about you. <laughs> it's, they're not quite as important as, you know, the place that you're, you're in. It's a big, diverse world, man, and there are different ways that people are living. 
And when you are traveling somewhere, you need to, you know, sort of vibe with that or get out. One of the, the funniest things I see that relates to this is if I'm, you know, researching a place to stay and people write reviews. Reviews are always hard because you can never please everybody. Um, but a lot of what I see in some of the places that I go are people will complain about lodging and they'll say like, you know, the bed was hard. The hot water only lasted for a minute. Um, you know, I only got one roll of toilet paper. Like these, these are things that I'm reading and like, yeah, you know, you can shrink wrap and, and bubble wrap yourself and insulate yourself and, you know, carry all the comforts you need in a suitcase or something like that. But why? You know, it. sure, we'd all love hot water all the time and a never-ending supply of toilet paper and a super soft bed. But, you know, those things cost money and require systems and municipalities and not everywhere is going to have it. And so you, Mr. and Mrs. Traveler, like you might have to go without it. And you might start to see like, hey, I don't really need those things. Or like, hey, a nice cold shower is actually quite good for you and wakes you up. Um, yeah, so that's a kind of, you know, rabbit hole, long-winded way of saying they're like, yeah, I'm safe, and am I completely physically comfortable 100% of the time? Hell no, man. But that's part of it. That's part of the stories and the adventure and the traveling and the, you know, why are you hanging out in your room all the time anyway? <laughs> you're, in a, you're in a foreign place, man. Like, you're there to see things and experience things. Get out of your room. Who cares about the bed? Um, so, yeah, I'm safe. How, how do you know who to trust how to trust people, use your instincts. Um, I'd like to say that it's, you know, being from New York, you, you get uh, to be, to understand like social situations pretty good and to be able to read people. But I think, you know, if you're from anywhere, you can do that. Um, for the people I reached out to online, like obviously these people have, you know, for, for the for the podcast, like they have followings and businesses and if they're out there ripping people off all the time, no one's going to, you know, be a patron of whatever it is that they produce. Um, you know, I'll talk a little bit in the next episode about the family I had dinner with and, and the boat ride and stuff like that. Um, but essentially I met some strangers and you feel it out. You, you talk before you agree to stuff. You, you know, use your best judgment. And then I've chosen to trust, you know, I went a long time in like my teens and my early twenties, like sort of really not being a people person. And it's much more enjoyable sort of thinking that or, or trusting that the majority of people will do the right thing and do good. You know, I, I, I haven't really met any bad people. It you know, on this, in this month and a half I've been traveling. In fact, I've met really amazing people. <laughs> it's funny like I, I've been sort of without um, media and, and news and things like that. There's things that you know I, I hear here and there, and I've read a couple local papers. Um, but when I go onto to Facebook and I see people from home, and they're sort of reposting news articles and things like that, it's all bad, man. It's all bad. So I just you know for for the sake of this conversation that I'm sort of having with myself. I just pulled up CNN.com. Now, this is not like a political, like, which news site is better? No, like, I won't even entertain Fox News. Like, that's, you know, awful. But this is sort of the, the, the flip, you know, the, the, the other side of that pole of, the, of that coin politically. I guess CNN is liberal, right? But um, they're both bad. Now, this is the front page, okay? So I'm just going to read you headlines. And I think a lot of people probably just read headlines, but... Um, just so that I can get you a lot of this information quickly. These are all headlines. Um, Pennsylvania priest abuse victims detail a lifetime of trauma and broken trust. Women, accu woman, women accused of killing Kim Jong-un's half-brother could be freed. Genoa Bridge collapse came after years of warning. Teens targeted and couple suicide attack. Stolen Buddha. <laughs> Open-air urinals cause uproar in Paris. Dozen of overdoses in one U.S. park in one day. 
Turkish court rejects U.S. pastor's appeal. Parents forced to pay for daughter's $95,000 cancer treatment. U.S.'s silence makes it complicit in Saudi bombing of Yemeni children. New Zealand bans foreigners from buying property. London terror suspect identified. Is Israel keeping a blacklist of its critics? Senator calls Brennan a butthead. New York governor, America was never that great. I could go on and on. You're probably like, all right, enough, buddy. But like, yeah, am I saying don't report on things? No. Am I saying don't have like important editorials and opinions and to be critical? No, like those are all important. But th- something about this affects people's psyche. I, I have to think it does. Like it affects mine. I, I'm reading this and like this is giving me some anxiety already, man. Like it, it, I've been just so chill and, and you, you know, the hair on your arms start to raise up a bit. Like you get a little bit of like the tense back when you're reading stuff like this, like, Oh God, it does seem like a scary, awful world. And this is sort of like the social media news. Like people are consuming news this way through headlines and reposting them and on timelines and, and feeds and things like that. This is what you see over and over and over. And yeah, it makes you think it's a horrible, scary, crazy world, man. When you just read this, but where's the good stuff? You know, there's that Instagram Instagram account, I think it's like Tanks Good News, something like that, where the guy only posts like good news <laughs> and people doing good things and the right thing. Like, what about that? I see a lot of good, I mean, there's a lot of bad. Like, I think in my next episode, there's, there's going to be some bad that I talk about or quite a lot of it, but I don't know, man. It's... Yeah, bad things happen, and, and bad things happen to good people, and there's tragedy, but I think there's way more good. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm focusing on now. So, yeah, don't be so afraid of stuff, folks, and, and don't think what I'm doing is crazy. You could do it, too. You could go places. You can meet people. And, you know, chances are things will go okay for you. All right, pretty long rant. On today's episode, I am joined by Bryant... Long, and he is an awesome, awesome guy. He owns and runs the barbershop in Brunei that is called Stay Traditional. He plays in a pop-punk band called Secret Signal. So I was already interested in him for these reasons. Um, Also, looking at him, he's covered in tattoos. You know, he looks like like a punk kid. And... Upon seeing that, I'm thinking, wow, like that seems to be in contrast to what Sharia law is requiring of people or what the culture in Brunei might be. And yeah, like it is in contrast to those things. Um, You know, Bryant himself is not Muslim, but it's interesting talking to someone who is part of a subculture in a place that seems like maybe there really aren't a whole lot of people in subcultures. And so for that, I found him real interesting. Um, also really interested in him as an entrepreneur. Um, the shop is really, really cool. We hung out there a couple times. Really like old school with a lot of like tattoo art. Um, looks like it could be in like, you know, a cool trendy place in like in Brooklyn or something like that. Um, so I found him really great. He also was just like a super sweet guy. Helped drive me around. Um, took me into Malaysia one day. Uh, took me to all these awesome places to eat. Had the best locks of my damn life hanging out with that guy. Um, introduced me to his friends. So yeah, further just proving the point that like there's awesome people who are going to look out for you and, and treat you right and are interested in you um, as much as I am interested in him. So yeah, I'm going to play a song right after this. It will be a song by Brian's band Secret Signal. I'll have the information for that in the show notes to this episode. Also, if you are somebody who would like to support the podcast and have the means to support the podcast, you can do that on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. That's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly. If you don't have the means to do so, appreciate you anyway. Thank you for listening. You can support me non-monetarily by writing a review and leaving a five-star rating on iTunes or on the podcast application that you most like to use. So that would be awesome. You can follow along with my travels in a visual format on Instagram. 
the handle is the Voyages of Tim V. Okay, hope you enjoy this one. Bye-bye. First, like, today's been awesome, um, and you've been an amazing host, and, like, everybody in Brunei has been, like, super, super sweet to me, so, like, just, first of all, thank you for today, and thank you for doing this. Um, You know, like, when when I was researching to come here, I was trying to find out information, I was trying to find cool people, and I came across you, and I wanted to talk to you for, like, for so many reasons. Like, we've been talking about a lot of it today, so some of this will be us rehashing it, but... Um, I think maybe like the first thing that makes sense to touch on is is the business. All right. Um, so let me try to approach this in like an organized way. Um, I saw that you were doing traditional haircuts, and it might sound weird to say this, but like traditional haircuts are also kind of like newer. Like there's been a revival of like a traditional haircut style. Mm. Um, you know, it's something you, you see in Brooklyn, you see it in sort of like in music communities and things like that. 
Um, how how does the the style of haircut that you're doing how does that fit into like Bruneian culture, if that makes sense? Um, I guess like haircuts like these are timeless. So like, you know, people who go to work on uh, like you know people who are professionals here they need a neat haircut and you know, Brunei we're not too accepting of people with long hair to come to work. So, oh. yeah, I mean, for a professional level, like, these haircuts are a necessity. La. And the types of haircut we're giving are, yeah, traditional in, this, in a way that it's, it's smart, you know, like, back in the 60s or 70s, you had short sides and backs. And that's, those are exactly the haircuts we're giving. So, how it fits into, this, into the culture, I guess that working professionals, they need to look neat here. Yeah. Yeah, so they obviously need a haircut like this. So why do you think, um, you know, you made kind of a splash, right? Like you, um, we're here in your shop right now, like you've had a lot of press and I was telling you earlier, like we had already communicated but I checked into my hotel and there's a magazine and like one of the first pages I open up in the magazine, like I see you in your shop. Mm. Uh, what do you think it was that like brought so much attention to you in your shop here? Um, I guess when I opened the shop in 2014 and when I was starting to do this um, late 2013, I was, um, this concept here in Brunei is fairly new because like there was no such uh, traditional barber shop here. There were only salons, men's salons. So like a lot of the people here um, would, would choose to go to a $3 barbershop because it's more manlier than going to a salon in, in that sense, you know? Right. And salons here base their haircuts more in like Korean culture or, you know, something you would see off like a K-pop music video. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, well, when I started doing this, you know, it's, it was like uh, being a greaser was cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. So like everybody wanted to look slick. Everybody wanted to have that office look, you know, like I, I go to work kind of look. And... Even, you know, if, even people who just work normal jobs, they just wanted to look smart, you know. It, it was a trend at that time where people just wanted to look dapper. So, I guess when I opened the shop and it had a bit of concept, you know, I had a lot of old, um, old stuff here, you know, my mom's TV from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, my, my dad's Chevette from also the ni- uh, like 80s. And, you know, people just come here and they just think it's like, it's like a museum. You know, it's some sort of like a antique museum. So sometimes they ask me if I sell my stuff, but I obviously don't because all these are antique that I collect from traveling and so on like that. So people here are very drawn to the idea of having a concept. So once you have a concept here, it will definitely blow up. But for how long, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's really, I mean, that's really interesting. The the shop looks so cool. Um, (laughs) There's all this really awesome traditional tattoo art up on the walls. Um, like you said, like a lot of antique stuff. The seats are like antique barbershop seats. Yeah, like um, the, the the seats are probably like there's one I had that's 21 years old, one's 15, and then another one's 12. Like they're all from Japan, and you know they 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 built to last. Like, yeah, yeah. Forever. And since so since you started, have there been like copycats of sorts? Um, I wouldn't call them copycats, but yeah, like um, ever since. 2014, and now that's 2018, there are like 10 other barbershops doing the similar uh, traditional haircut, but, you know, with their own, with their own uh, flair into it, you know, they put their own flair into it. So, like, some are more, like, hip-hop barbershops kind of thing. Um, Some are more modern, modern-style barbershops. Yeah, there have been quite a few. And, you know, now being a barber is a trend, so it's a cool thing to be a barber. Yeah, and I, I mean, we, I talked about this in the, the last episode that I released, and we talked a little bit today, but the population is so small here. Yeah. And, you know, if you're the only barber doing this style in town, well, then, hey, business is good. Yeah. But with other shops that are popping up doing a similar style, I would assume then it becomes a lot more difficult to maintain that level of business. Yeah, and also people here are more... F- Focus on quantity over quality, I would say. Like, really? Um, people would rather pay a $10 haircut every two weeks than to pay a $20 haircut every two weeks because, you know, economically, it'll be better for him. Right. And because, 
even though even like eighteen dollars here is considered like premium premium haircut price, but you know if you go to places like Singapore, thirty dollars is the minimum hair like price for a haircut you would yeah. get at a barber shop. But you know the standard of livings in Brunei is very low. You don't you don't need a lot of money to get by here. Right. So yeah. Um, let's talk about sort of your entry into cutting hair because it's you started off as like an audio engineer and yeah. someone producing music. Mm. How did you get into cutting hair? Um, I, um, in 2013, I, got, I was working in an international school here. It's called Jerdong International School. I was um, teaching the kids music technology and also teaching kids basic instruments like guitar, drums, uh, bass, keyboard. <clears throat> and I think I did that for about... I did that about two and a half years, almost three years, and it came to a point where I just felt like this is not what I wanted to do because I came to Brunei with my, you know, I graduated, freshly graduated from Singapore. I wanted to make a difference in the music industry here because, yeah. you know, they'll just let anything go on the radio. I would, they would let people record with audacity and just put it onto the radio, you know. There's no standard of, um, there's no music standard here, you know. There's no, what's that word? <clears throat> There's no industry standard here, yes, basically, for yes. what goes on the radio. And I thought I could be the one who make, made it, the change here in Brunei, but oh. it wasn't, you know, it didn't play out the same way I wanted it to be. But eventually, like, um, I opened a recording studio, actually, in 2000. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. But it didn't work as well because there's not enough musicians here, you know, and the, the law here is so strict. So <clears throat> even if bands were to come in to record a full album, you know? How would they make the money back? Right. Because there's no outlet, for, you know? And maybe we here. should explain, like, there's no live music in Brunei. Yeah, there's no live music here because um, I would say the way the government deals with things here is that yeah, yeah. Um, they just completely cut it off if, you know, if it's going to cause a problem in the future, they just completely cut it off. Yeah. So that's not the way you deal with things, but in a country like this, apparently so. So... Like, I would record bands, you know, who who record five, six tracks for the EP, and, you know, it'll cost them thousands of dollars, but where are they going to sell their stuff, you know? Where, right. Where are they going to sell their music? Because their music is not accepted here in Brunei. So even if they were to go overseas, you know, not everybody has a free time to tour, you know? Yeah, not of course. can tour the, the, the world like they wish they can, because, you know, people have families, people have jobs, and yeah, it became such a hard thing to sustain the studio. So I ended up um, shutting down the studio and just focusing on my day job, which is teaching, teaching the kids how to um, use Logic, which is a recording program, you know, teaching them how to produce music and so on like that. But after three years, I just felt like this is not what I wanted to do anymore, you know. I needed to move on with life because if I, f if I stay here and do the same job, I'll just... I'll be stuck. Yeah, of course. I'll, be, I'll just hit a wall. So, like, I told myself it's either I, to do three things. Either I join the Singaporean um, army, the Singapore army, or a tattoo artist or a barber. But two of these things were unrealistic because I had a family at that time already here in Brunei. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So, let me ask about that because I didn't even know that. <laughs> you, just being a student in Singapore, you could join the Singaporean ar army? No, you, let's, see, let's say I'm, I'm Malaysian. So, right. if I want to move... To Singapore, and I want to have a Singaporean PR. What I can do is I can join the army for three years, oh. and they will reward me with a Singaporean PR. I see. Yeah, so th that was one of my options. Um, that that was one of my options. Okay. That I in mind, so that I can, you know, further my studies in Singapore. Yeah, of course. You know, for a cheaper rate. But right. <clears throat> that was pretty unrealistic. So, it was either tattooing or barbering, but at the same time, tattooing you don't have. Tattoo policy in Brunei because you know it's taboo. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't, you rarely see tattooed people here in Brunei, and like tattoos here are considered uh, haram. Yes. Which means it's not, uh, it's not legal in, in a sense. So, like, the only thing I had to do, uh, like, I could do here is barbering, you know, it's just, I just needed to buy some stuff, like uh, some barbering stuff, clippers, uh, combs, and all these things, and I just started from my garage. So, you know, I started with my friend. 
uh, Ryan, he's one of my first friends who ever let me cut his hair. So, you know, we did it in my... That's who I met today? Yeah, that's okay. who I met today. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's a cool guy. We cut his hair in my garage. No, no, sorry, in my toilet. We cut his hair in my toilet. <laughs> yeah, and you know, all the hair was going down the drain pipes and getting stuck and so on like that because I didn't know what to do. It was my first time. So after the haircut, we just looked at him like, man, that actually looks pretty damn good, you know? Like, for a first time, you know, who doesn't yeah. know anything. So we decided, you know, I decided to, you know, take this up as a hobby. So I started posting pictures on Instagram, getting my friends to try, you know, my haircuts, um, you know, for free, you know, giving yeah, up of free course. haircuts. <clears throat> then eventually, you know, it came to a point where customers would text my Instagram asking me to, like, cut their hair. And... You know, I was excited, you know, first time real customers want me to cut their hair, you know. And so, you know, it started off with stacking four plastic chairs in my garage, you know, with a small fan and just taking each customer one by one every day until it came to a point there were eight customers a night. And at, during this time, I was still having a day job. So, you know, I was tired all day because I worked from 7.30 in the morning until 4.30, I come back and rest until 8 p.m. Now I start cutting hair till the last customer. And you know, it's a hustle, you know? So with whatever I made from my first few cuts, I bought my first barber chair, which oh, is the green one over there. Very cool. Yeah, this one over here, here. So I bought this one, it cost me about a thousand Brunei dollars. What? Yeah. Wow. Surprise. And so people know, like, you know, most, most listeners are, are from the States, like, that, a Brunei dollar is pretty close to an American dollar, so that'd yeah, be like a thousand bucks for a chair, yeah. So like after I bought this chair, I started to take it more seriously, you know, getting people to come in, raise my price slightly more, you know, just um, educate myself more in this craft. And along the line, I had a, a customer who's actually one of my friends, you know, he saw what I was doing and he thought it would be a cool thing to, you know, um, invest into my, my passion. So that's exactly what he did. So in 2014, June, of 2014, we opened the stationary barber shop downstairs at Garden Central. <laughs> yeah, man. So there's 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 so many places I want to go from some of the things you've said. Yeah. Um, you know, the the imagery in the shop is very like tattoo heavy, um, and people can't see you. Like they could, by the time they're listening to this, they can go to my Instagram and, and they'll be able to see you or go to your Instagram. Um, but you are heavily tattooed. Yeah. Um, I am not. I have a couple, and I still had a few people here ask me about them. So you mentioned it being haram. Um, even though you yourself are not Muslim, how, like, how do you think people perceive you here in Brunei? Like, you, you're here in front of me. You're, you you have knuckle tattoos. Yeah. I, I've been all, you know, what do I know about Brunei just being here a few days? But I've been all over the city I don't see anyone nearly as tattooed as you are. So <laughs> how do you think people perceive you? Um, most people, actually people here are very nice, you know. They see me, yeah. they think I'm a foreigner, and they're just always very nice to me. But like everywhere I go, you just get stared, stared at. You know, it's the price you pay for getting so heavily tattooed. But, you know, when I was getting tattooed, I didn't think about these things, like, you know, how people perceive uh, would perceive how I look. I just wanted tattoos because I wanted them. Yeah. But, you know, after being <clears throat> so heavily tattooed and walking around Brunei, you just tend to notice that people can't help but to stare. You know, wherever I am, lining up at McDonald's or walking around the mall, people just can't help but to stare because, you know, it's something so foreign to them. You know? yeah, yeah. I've never seen somebody with so much art on themselves. And <clears throat> a lot of people either think that I'm really just a baller, I'm very rich, or I just have oh. no job. Or oh, truck dealer. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Those kind of things. It could go both ways. But, you know, people don't know that, you know, the price you pay to be an artist, you need to hustle, you know? Yeah. Like, I work twice as hard as I know I should be. But because I know that being this heavily tattooed, you know, getting tattoos over your, over your sleeves means you, you can't get a normal job here in Brunei. You're, you're a lifer now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, I... I don't know about anywhere else, but like in America, if you get tattoos over your your sleeves, well, what does that mean? Can you get a job? Yeah, so like we're talking, you know, it's sort of a joke, but it's like like neck, face, and hand, and and like hands or knuckles, like 
you're like a lifer, right? So there's yeah. sort of the same idea. If you're not working in the arts, like you're going to be working something real blue collar, like working on cars or something like yeah, that. Like yeah. I'm, I'm completely generalizing right yeah, now, yeah, you, know? Yeah, yeah. you know? There are people that, you know, break out of the stereotype. But yeah, a bit similar. Um, but if you, let's say you were to, to meet a woman and wanted to get married and to get married into that family, you would have to convert to being Muslim. Would you be able to? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll be, I'll be able to. Like, um, the thing about this is, like, you just don't do it again. Mm. Like, once you have, even if I'm heavily tattooed now and I were to marry a Muslim lady, I wouldn't, I just had to promise myself that I wouldn't get another tattoo. I, because yeah. it would be violating law. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, naturally, like, I would assume you had to go overseas to get most of your tattoos. Yeah. I, every time I go on tour or, you know, travel to for to do music or anything. I try to get some tattoos because you just can't get them here, you know. So I save up, um, buy my tickets, and find a tattoo parlor that, you know, I'm comfortable with the artist. And then, you know, I get make an appointment and get my tattoos. So I always travel to get my tattoos. Where is, in your opinion, the best spot in Southeast Asia or in this region? Um. There are a few good tattoo artists in Kota Kinabalu. Oh, really? Yeah, there are a few. They are good friends of mine. That's Malaysia. Yeah, Malaysia. And they, it's a tattoo parlor called uh, Deadlight Studios. They're pretty good there. And this is very, very good tattoo artist who, who used to be from Kota Kinabalu as well, but he moved to um, Kuala Lumpur. His name is Taco Joe. He did like a few of my tattoos. And like he's by far, for me, one of the best tattoo artists in Borneo. But he moved over to uh, Kuala Lumpur now. Oh, okay. Yeah. But in this region, like Asia, there are a few, like in Singapore. Like myself, I prefer American traditional tattoos. You know, like, so most of them are like neo-traditional. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, or American traditional tattoos. So I, I usually find for artists that, you know, fit, fit the art that I want. So if you ask me, I'm a bit biased when it comes to who's yeah, the yeah, best. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, Singapore has good ones, KL, uh, Malaysia, Kota Kinabalu. I had a few tattoos from UK, like in uh, London. That's pretty much it. And from reading online and, and from talking to your buddy a little bit earlier, it sounds like maybe once in a while, like uh, an artist will come through Brunei or like through the city here. Mm. And um, like, I guess... Uh, tattoo people like they don't set up a shop or something but yeah like i guess sometimes artists will come through and like yeah. if you're lucky enough to know that you can get tattooed yeah um basically sometimes tattoo artists come from one side of malaysia to pass on to the, another side of malaysia but right Brunei is in between so i got in contact with a few of them so as they were coming from like let's say kota kinabalu um and they were their next destination is miri they would go past brunei so i would you know hit them up ask them to come down to my shop, you know, chill out, and then, like, um, they'll give me a tattoo. Not give me a tattoo, I mean, like, you, um, they'll get customers here from Brunei, and then we'll hold them up somewhere, and then we'll get them tattooed. I see. Yep. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know about this person. I know, I know, like, nothing, but I thought that when I was doing my, like, research to, to see who to talk to here, there was, um, I could move that, too, if you want, on, on you. Do, you, would you. do you want that fan? Uh, no, you okay? Uh, it's gonna be. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I thought that I had read about some guy who was sort of like a, maybe um, a like a fine arts or visual arts or graphic arts or something. Oh, I think I know who. You're and who also, I think maybe briefly had a tattoo shop here. He didn't have a tattoo shop. Okay. Wilson. Maybe. Wilson M C Lau. If I'm not wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know him because we, you know, the tattoo community here is so small. We know everybody from who is like heavily tattooed as well. Yeah. So he he didn't have a tattoo parlor here. He worked in one in KL. Okay. Yeah. So he apprenticed under one, and then he just came back here and um, he, uh, he ran running his business in art and so on like that. It, there have been in, in Brunei a lot of like uh, we'll say within the past five to ten years, a lot of major changes. Um, I think in the West people will know and read about like the implementation of Sharia law and things like that. Um, 
prior to that, was there access to to tattoos, or it's just never really been? No, it's uh, <clears throat> there. Never was uh, tattoo parlors over here, so you know we always had to go outside of the country to get tattooed. Okay. Um, so another thing I'm I'm really interested in is is music, mm. and I want to get to some of like your really cool accomplishments that we talked about earlier. Um, but first of all, like it's really cool to me. Like we talked a lot today about like yeah. when I first started listening to punk music and things like that. So maybe we'll start there. Like, what was your introduction into independent music, punk music, indie music here in Brunei? Like, how did you? What were the first bands? How did you hear about it? I mean, I grew up on bands like Green Day, you know, on Channel V, um, MTV. Okay. Yeah. So you listen to bands like Green Day, uh, Blink One Eighty Two, the more commercialized punk bands that made it to uh, made it made it big and you know people like simple plan all these pop punk bands that could go on tv but after that i played in a pop funk band i played bass for a pop funk band here in brunei really yeah but always knew that that's not what i really wanted to do you know because my heart is i'm sold to like heavy music uh, regardless of like hardcore music um, post hardcore metalcore anything i i love it all but in 2008, I got called up by a friend here uh, to join his band, to play bass for a punk band. So that was interesting. So from there, I met, um, I met the drummer of the band, who now is my very good friend. He's my best friend now, actually. Um, <clears throat> we met for the first time, and we jammed. Uh, we jammed, and it was pretty good. You know, like, first time playing punk music, and I, I just loved it. So he introduced me to bands such as like MXPX, uh, uh, No Effects. Uh, uh, how old were you? <clears throat> I was about 16, maybe. Okay, so 16. we're talking like 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite late to pick up all these kind of music for some, you know. But because here in Brunei, everybody's so, everybody's so commercialized here. You know? Yeah. The people who listen to a lot of metal, they're from another district. Like oh. a, there's a district where there are loads of metalheads over there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but here in Bandar, a lot of people listen to a lot of pop music. Um, the heaviest they would go to was like uh, System of a Down kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and because only they only know these bands because they're on you know on on the TV. Right. They're playing on MTV. So from there, I just um, learned more about bands and like. Uh, punk bands that I was into, more like um, the Ataris. And for, at one point, I, was, uh, I had an emo phase. So I went into a band such as Alisana, um, Devil Wears Prada, and uh, Enter Shikari, and all these kind of bands. And then slowly just evolved, evolved all the way, like post-hardcore, um, and then now just back to punk. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> like what is... I mean, we were talking about records earlier. What yeah. was your access to stuff like that? Was it strictly through the internet? Yeah, yeah, just from the internet because we rarely had underground gigs here at that time. Like, we're, we're, yeah, we rarely had underground gigs here in Brunei, so the only way to get to know more music is, yeah, from the internet. Um, yeah, so something that we, we talked about earlier is like in, in the States, it's quite common to have like basement shows, house shows, you know, we have like VFW halls, like, like community halls and things like yeah. that, their shows. Um, at one point, while it wasn't, you know, it's never really, it's a subculture, you know, it's never really prevalent and popular, but at one point there were some shows here, right? Yeah, there was, um, <clears throat> but all of them ended up in raids. So like there were phases here, like from the early 2000s maybe, there were shows every weekend, and then um, a raid happened, and then they just completely stopped that for a few years, and then maybe 2010, another show, you know, another like, a few more shows came up, and then a raid happened again, so it stopped. So like just recently, like this year, like from last year until this year, there were shows every week, you know, punk bands, metal bands, uh, indie bands, all of them, they just get it in a mixed gig. Really? Everybody, the, the response was so good, you know, 170 people showed up, shows up for the show, you know. And it was great, but then it also ended up in a raid. 
So from there onwards, uh, people just the people who are attending the shows were just too scared to come out to watch shows anymore because you know uh, they don't want to get raided and you know, spend their time yeah. in their police station. <clears throat> and the people who are organized the gigs, they don't want to be at that risk anymore. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it all stopped again. <laughs> and and and. Are the, the, the raids about the music itself, or is it more like we're looking to see if like kids have beer, or kids have drugs, or things like that? Um, kids with substances, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's more, mostly that. Because, I mean, like the organizers do as much as they can, you know, tell people not to bring stuff, you know, right. no drugs, no alcohol, strictly. But you can't stop these things, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Honestly, I mean, like drugs are everywhere, you know? So. I, listen, like things. I've, I've, you know, I've taught teens. I've been a teen. The more, the more you tell a teenager not to do something, the more they're gonna try to yeah, do exactly. it. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So like, you just can't stop these things. You can't. I mean, you can walk anywhere in the world, and somebody close by, I'm pretty sure they have drugs in them. So now, if you want to go, obviously, like, um, there's a part. Uh, actually, there's multiple parts of Malaysia from where we are right now that you can drive to. But, you know, larger touring bands and things like that are often coming through, like, like Singapore or KL or something like that. So now, for, if you want to see bands like that, you have to go, you have to fly, yeah. right? You have to fly. Yeah. Or the closest to here is Kuching, which is about, if you want to drive, you can drive for about 13 hours. Oh, God. That's, that's a long drive, and the <laughs> roads aren't very great. But they bring in bands like Suicide Silence, um, I Killed the Prom Queen, uh, Crown the Empire, no. Bigger bands, you know, bigger bands. But if you watch really good bands, mostly Singapore, KL, yeah. And you, you're currently playing in, in like a pop punk punk band. Yeah, yeah. And you, so you've you've you haven't played in Brunei or we were part of the raid. That, oh, you know, that okay. Like <laughs> we played a few shows here, and like man, the response here was very very good. You know, people really. Just, yeah, I have loads of videos of just people just enjoying themselves in like a yeah, packed hall. But after the raid happened, we just decided just to take all the tours outside, you know? No, no more local shows. Just playing in close by places like Mary or Kuching, uh, Singapore, KL, and all the other places where music is slightly more accepted, you know? That's always the misconception too about like punk and hardcore music is yeah. that like, oh, these are a bunch of deadbeats like and druggies and yeah, it's like yeah. crazy music. It's like, yeah, no, like it's a community that's really positive and valuable and like it's kids having fun actually in a setting where like they're not screwing around. Like yeah, they're yeah. like, they could be off somewhere else doing something bad, but it's a place where like they're accepted and yeah. they've got some positivity and they can feel good about themselves and, um, ooh. Jeez, man, like <laughs> where, um, maybe in terms of playing, like where outside of Brunei has been like the best place to, to like the best reception you've gotten um, for the band, best place to play? Uh, March this year, we went to Indonesia, actually. We toured Central Java. So that one was one of the best, I guess, because we did an eight day tour. It was the first time we're touring so long because most of our shows, like just two shows, like we would come, like previous shows, we would go from Brunei, take a boat to Labuan, play a show there, take another boat to uh, Kota Kinabalu, and we play there, and then we take one boat all the way back to Brunei. That's fun, you know, it's fun, but it's two days. But this one was the first time we're doing like an eight day tour, and it's like a big thing for us. Yeah. Because, you know, coming from a place where there's no music, and we're just trying to live our dreams and do something different that everybody else in Brunei has dreams of doing, you know? And. Yeah, Indonesia was fun. So we were there for eight days, traveled 56 hours from um, venue to venue. Two flights, like uh, two flights, one train ride, and loads of car rides. But it was fun. The reception there was good. Like people in Indonesia, they just, they just love pop punk. Yeah. Like especially in Jogja, the pop punk scene is very big over there. So like we would play shows outside of... Um, clothing stores and it was it was so dope it was so dope there were like three gigs happening at once just um, four shops um, down the road and it was it was, it was great, like a man. festival or something or just just tons of venues they, they aren't even venues they're just like clothing stores and then they they open out the outside ah. of their shop and then just set up a band 
uh, band equipment there and just let us play. I mean, like, of course, the bands, you know, the bands uh, were booked to play there. So, yeah, it was cool. It was some, some sort of like a festival, but it's more like a street clothing festival. So it was, yeah, man, it was great. Wow, man. Um, I, I think an interesting thing that we were talking about earlier is that, you know, in the types of the music that you're playing, like, it's not necessarily about like making you, like, you that you're going to make a lot of money or something yeah. like that. Um, but you have to sustain yourself as a touring band and to, to have to fly to another country and, and trip all your equipment and take buses and trains, like you're already operating at a huge loss. <laughs> and I think what people might not recognize is that like, so the American dollar is, is quite close to the value of the dollar from Brunei, um, which are both, drastically different from the uh, Indonesian uh, rupiah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like right now it's like one to, the American at least is like one to 14,000 when I was there. Mm. So that means that the rupiah to American dollars or the rupiah to Brunei dollars are, is, is quite poor. So if you're coming through town, like kids might be able to go see the show, yeah. but it's going to be really tough for them to buy records and shirts and merch and stuff. And then it's hard to sustain that touring schedule as a band. Yeah. So like, um, when we go to Indonesia, we don't expect much, you know, we, we go there with a passion, obviously. Yeah. And you just need to be passionate about what you do, you know, if just hopefully one day you'll be good enough and people will start to take notice and, you know, money will come in. But for now, <clears throat> we're all working adults in our band and we just want to do something we couldn't do when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, in America, I hear stories of kids at 17, 16 years old dropping out of school and just touring, uh, touring America. It's not possible here. We, we live in a very small country, 400,000 people, no gigs, you know? And yeah. to go out of the country without an adult is going to be hard, you know, when you're 16 especially, because the legal age here is 18. So... We're just living out the dreams that we can't have when we were 16, 17 years old. Yes. Yeah. Yep. What is like the, the status of the band right now? Like, are you writing music or is there a plan to put out a record soon or? Um, we're actually working on, on our album now. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, we released our EP last, last year and then it, it did quite well. So now we're just going to focus more on our album and, you know, after that, we're just going to take some more shows because my bandmates are currently quite busy. My, my singer of my band, he recently just, uh, his wife just gave birth to a baby boy. So now it's uh, daddy time for about three months or okay. so. <laughs> but I still keep active. I play with different other bands, you know. I session for them. I play bass. But for my own band, I play guitar. So, you know, it's just, I'm still going and doing the work that, uh, without the band. So I'm going out to make the, all the connections for now, you know, going out and meeting people and, you know, just trying to make the connections with all the promoters um, around Asia and so on like that so that when my band is ready, we can just book all the shows all in one go. Yeah, of course. Yeah. For, for people who want to get into, like, Southeast Asian punk and hardcore, is there, like, a centralized, like, a message board or a website or something where people can find out about a lot of bands or find out about gigs and shows and stuff like that? I guess if you go to shows, if like you find a show here or close by to you here in Southeast Asia and you just get in contact with the promoters, the promoters are more than willing to hook you up with other promoters in other countries. So it's, it's as easy as that, I think. Okay. It's a matter of just opening your mouth and going up to people and talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but for people to find out about shows here, mm, Everything's on the internet, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Facebook, you know, people share posts, Instagram, these kind of things. Okay, and we will, for people listening, we will link to, to your band in the show notes. They'll be able to get that. Mm. Um, so, like, one thing that I think is exciting and interesting is outside of, like, the band and, and, and pop punk and stuff like that, you have put music out into the world in, in other ways. Like, you, you, yeah. you've produced, you've written for people, You've, you have um, a song and a film. Yeah. Like, talk a little bit ab about that. Like, what are the other music ventures that you've been able to do? Um, 
I produce for some like artists here, like um, some bands here, like duos. So they need, they can't find enough band members here or like band members who are willing to spend their time to work more here, like more, work more in the music. So like sometimes they'll come in with just vocals and uh, guitar and I'll just, they trust me enough to just build the song for them, build the song for them here. So yeah, I, I worked on a few uh, local artists here, um, ranging from like deathcore music to uh, pop punk, um, very Japanese influenced music, oh. and yeah, a few more. I yeah, <laughs> just give me a second, yeah. <coughs> so like, I also wrote a song that actually went on to a, an American film. It's called "You're Not You," and. Um, my song plays at the end credits of that of that movie, and that was an interesting uh, experience for me because it's the first time I'm getting out my music to a big, a wider audience. Yeah, of course. After after the movie has uh, been released, I got people from like around the world texting me. It's like, hey, um, I heard this song and I found out that I found your band uh, profile, and you know, can we use the song for another film and so on like that? Really? And yeah, but. Yeah, it, it, yeah, do those sort of things, and like it's quite interesting that you know one song, um, getting that much recognition will get you somewhere else. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but uh, and what's her name was in that movie? Um, uh, Hilary Swank. That's and, it. Yeah, um, yeah. Emmy Rossum. Okay. Yeah, they're the main cast of the movie. So I mean, you you might be familiar with the term like Renaissance man, no? Like you. So you are, you're cutting hair, you're producing music, yeah. you're playing music. Earlier today, we were talking about you are doing some photography. Um, <laughs> Just small photography, man. But still, man, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and sort of getting your feet wet here with like, or getting back into like food blogging and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, here in Brunei... If you want to be a creative here in Brunei, you gotta you gotta try it all. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, if you don't try, you never know. Like the same way how if I didn't try cutting my friend's hair in my garage, uh, my in my toilet actually, uh, four years ago, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, like, which is barbering. So Brunei is a land of opportunity. You know, you can really find a lot of opportunities here. Like you said, you just need to go out and find it. It's really interesting here, man. Um, I, I, this is a small podcast and I'm not trying to make myself seem important at all, but over the last three days, I've been granted access that I really feel like, I don't know if any other American has like been granted the same type of access <laughs> that I've been granted. And, and, and through that, I, I, I've seen that there is an incredible potential, um, my opinion, but I think the country is gonna have have to um, diversify eventually, diversify its economy, and to open itself up more to tourism and um, coming up with ways to attract attention and businesses and things like that. Mm. And that means that people who are at the forefront of industries, like I, I recorded yesterday uh, with FICA of the, um, the Brunei Food Diary, and then, and then people like yourself who have like a really cool trendy shop and produces music and maybe will be food blogging. Like there's great potential and opportunity here. Mm. It's, in my opinion, almost more just about like when it happens or like, you know, when it sort of opens up, sort of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, and someone like yourself who's so driven in so many different fields of like artistry, there's like, there's a real potential, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Like I feel Brunei, I would always tell people the same thing, but you know, to a, I only believe it to a certain extent. I would believe, I will always tell people that, you know, people ask me what, what is Brunei like? I tell them, <laughs> um, Brunei is the place you come to where you want to see your dreams die. Mm. <laughs> I, I believe that, but at the same time, I need to get out of that mindset, you know? Like, I only half believe it because I know that there's so much potential here, so many good musicians, so many good chefs, or, you know, um, 
influences here that can do so much for the country, but we're all just maybe just not motivated enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You know, when when um, when you're hungry, mm. when when you're desperate, when 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 you really need something is is when you grind and when you put in the extra effort. Yeah. Um, if a lot of the necessities are, are taken care of, and this is not necessarily a criticism, but you know, when when you're comfortable and a lot of your daily expenses or the big expenses like school or healthcare, things like that are taken care of, you know, why maybe put in all that extra effort to and, and, and grind and, and work real hard when you're kind of okay? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, I that's just maybe sort of my, you know, real rudimentary understanding of it, but maybe that's sort of the mindset for some people. Yeah, I, I feel the same way as well, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I've traveled quite extensively now, and it's a changing world. Like, it's becoming more interconnected. Mm. Um, Brunei is a place that's been slower to, to join that. You know, you don't see a, a Bourdain episode on Brunei um, or, like, a Bizarre Foods or, uh, you know, tons of bloggers and stuff talking about it. But it, it is starting. Mm. Um, and so I, like... Maybe that's my way of saying I think that despite that, it's, it's, it's a changing world. It's an evolving world. And it's going to, you know, Brunei still exists in the world. Like it's, it's going to be, it's either going to also evolve or it's going to be left behind. Yeah, that's um, for sure. Yeah. So like, listen, man, um, I'm, I'm super, super grateful of, of your time here. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, taking me around today, food, meeting your friends, like, uh, it's, it's the, the people I've met have been, have been so great. And that includes you. Um, I'm assuming, and we talked about this a bit, but I'm assuming like not a lot of Americans coming through. Not that I know, not that I know. I've, I don't see much Americans here. Like I've worked in international school. I see a lot of, um, New Zealanders, uh, Australians, British people, but Americans, not as much. Mm. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I've met a few uh, navies here from America, but in that, not some, much. Some pilots are foreign. Yeah. Here, yeah. Um, they just had a new batch of pilots uh, come from the UK. So I met a few who are British, French, and all those. But American, I rarely see Americans here. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, like, if that will change. Because of the initial attention and success of the the barbershop, you've sort of been, like, you know, you're, you're kind of known, right? Like, you've sort of been in, invited into social circles of, like, very well-known people here in Brunei. Yeah. Yeah, like, would you, are, are you, are you, like, a Brunei uh, celebrity? <laughs> no, I wouldn't even consider myself <laughs> that. I just... No, I work hard to make a lot of friends here. I don't work hard to make a lot of friends. I do make a lot of friends here. And I travel quite often. And everywhere I go, you know, my, I try to be as nice to everybody the same way I want to be treated. So, you know, it's nice making new friends. You know, it's nice to go around and just make new friends with people. You know, um, get, you never know opportunity could be just by, you know, just waiting for you. It's just a matter of who you connect yourself with. So that's what I do. You know, I go out, make connections with whoever I can. You know, one day maybe they can help me somewhere along the lines. Yeah, of course. So, but like, the barbering thing did did boost up uh, the social status at one point. You know, because this is the first traditional barbershop in Brunei. Yeah. And yeah, it blew up. But other than that, I'm just I'm just a normal person. You know, yeah. I'm just a barber. You know, giving people haircuts, which is also important to me. I'm very passionate about giving people haircuts. I believe that if you sit down in my chair, I'll give you the best 45 minutes, you know, of your life, you know, in a barbershop. Right. I'll give you the best experience, you know, we'll have the best talks and so on like that. But fame, I don't think so, man. Yeah. And it's interesting because you mentioned earlier, like $3 cuts versus what you're charging, but like exactly what you just said, like yeah. you're going to get what you pay for. Yep. Um, so if you want that experience and that conversation and the quality cut and like the good service, yeah, man. that's where the price comes in. Exactly. You know, we, 
we may be more or less experienced than people who've been cutting hair for 10 years, who's attended courses and so on like that. But there are people who's, who's been so experienced, just, you know, people, everybody burn out from what they're doing, you know? Yeah. You burn out at certain points. So the people with 15 years down the line cutting hair, but they hate the job every day. But, you know, here I am four years in and I'm still, still so hungry to learn more, still want to do what I want, you know, set out to do. At the same time, do more things creatively. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wish you much success, Brian. And, right. like, I, I, I meet a lot of people. I think I'm a decent judge of, of character. Um, and I could, you know, I could see this. I could see a lot of what you're doing becoming something great. So I hope that happens. All right, thank um, you. Why don't you sort of, like, plug everything you're involved in? Like, how could people find all these different ventures that you're involved in um you can find my uh, you can find me on instagram on my instagram handle o-z-o-z-o-d-o-e-s which means ozozo does so that's where i do all my music my barbering my tour pictures and uh, food blogging on that page cool yeah and also on facebook the same handle the barbershop is stay traditional stay traditional dot bn BN, the band. The band, I play for Secret Signal BN. Secret Signal BN. Yeah. Okay, great. And for people listening, just go to the show notes of this episode or my Instagram account and we'll, we'll link to all that stuff and you can check it out and, and show Brian and uh, his crew some love. Um, yeah, man. Thank you so much. This yeah, is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Cool, cool. That's it, everybody. Episode 70. Thank you to Bryant. Thank you to everybody who's listening. You should reach out to me if I'm if it looks like I'm in a place that you are in or you're going to be in or you know a lot about. I'd love to hear about the things that you think I should do. Uh, you can do so by hitting me up on social media or by emailing me at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. Don't forget about the Patreon account if you are somebody that has the means to support this. I'd love to keep going to amazing places, uh, creating cool stories, and sharing those with you, and money would help make that possible. All right. Thanks, everybody. As always, take care of each other. Peace. Peace.